Um, let's, let's pray uh, before we get to the holy word of God. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Father in heaven, you are the almighty. You are the Lord of heaven's army. And you are worthy of our praise, of our worship. And we do thank you, Lord, for this moment. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you uh, would be the speaker. You would be the guest of honor. It would be your words and not mine. For it's your words, O oh Lord. They are truth. They are life. They are spirit. And it's by your words that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be honored. You would be glorified. This would be holy ground. And that your word would go forth, Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Lord, we lift this up to you. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And I do pray personally, Lord, that you would show us your glory, your majesty, and your splendor, and we would be in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, amen. amen. All right. If you've got Bibles, which you should, open them up to the book of Habakkuk. For you newbies, Habakkuk is in the Bible. Okay? It is a book in the Bible. It's one of the minor prophets, not because it's insignificant, just because it's significantly smaller than some of the major prophets. So we'll be the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. So it's Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. For those of you who hopefully learned the Bible song in Sunday school. Okay. If you didn't, we could talk later. All right. So our title of today's message is Standing on a Prayer, Praise, and a Promise. And because we're in the church, I'll be honest. This morning, that's what I was standing on. When I spoke with Pastor Dave, we weren't sure yet if I was going to be teaching youth or up here. And then maybe like 30, 9 o'clock-ish, it was like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I was standing on exactly that. A prayer, a praise, and a promise. Right? And, and, and most importantly, the prayer. Like, Lord, uh, if you don't show up, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> it's going to be a bad morning, right? But, uh, but God is faithful, and we trust him. Amen. It's been said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. That was Corey Tim Boom. It's been said, saints, that our theology determines our doxology, meaning our understanding of who God is reflects in the way we live our lives for him. As we look at the book of Habakkuk, it is about a faith trial. It is about a reality of a real person in real situations, in real circumstances, having a real faith crisis. And so what we need to expel the myth in the church is that once you come to Jesus, everything is a bed of roses. It's beautiful, right? No, okay? It's, it's, it's not that. And if you're really a true believer of Jesus, you'll never doubt ever in your life. Well, if you reach that, you reach the pinnacle. Good for you. But most of us on this side of eternity, that's not our reality, right? We face things day in and day out because we live in a broken world, right? And so in that, we have what we call faith trials. And so true faith, while it may not always understand God's means, it always trusts God's motives. Okay, saints? So while it may not understand exactly where God is taking it and how he's doing it, it always trusts that whatever God does, it is for good. Because God is the definition of good. He is what defines good. 
which is why Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is only one good but God alone, and are you professing that I'm God in the flesh, right? And so that is the reality. The theme of this book is actually trusting in God in times of uncertainty. So how many of us in here have had times of uncertainty? I don't know what's going on. Okay, every hand up, your hand's not up, your sleep, wake up, all right? So God is good, okay? So Habakkuk, who's one of the minor prophets, prophesied during the time right before the nation of Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity. If those of you who had read through the Old Testament, Israel has a history of being in bondage, right? I mean, you'd you think like, is, is, do they have a lapse of memory? Like do, what's going on? Because they seem to continuously forget the goodness and faithfulness of God and go back into rebellion. For starters, Egypt, right? Seven nations through Judges, right? Then Assyria, then Babylon, then Medo-Persians, right? Then Greece, then Rome. It's just a continuous cycle of going into rebellion. And so this particular time period, the prophet Habakkuk is prophesying or speaking to God right before they go into Babylonian captivity. And his name actually means to embrace or to wrestle, okay? Now, I like that because in times of uncertainty, doubt, despair, discouragement, you need to do exactly that. You need to embrace God and wrestle with God. Now, some of you are like, well, what do you mean wrestle with God? Like, I'm not trying to get my hip broken, right, like Jacob did, okay, for those of you who read the Bible. Um, not exactly that is what I mean. What I mean is you go to God and you ask questions. You ask, what's going on, Lord? I don't understand this. I'm struggling with this reality of what I'm seeing because as you really look around, you could probably question if you didn't know God very well, well, where are you? Why all the evil? Why all the, the innocent, the, the babies, the children, the, mar- the in the church? Why, where are you, Lord? Those are real questions, saints. Those are real thoughts from real people, real situations, real circumstances. The Bible would tell us that he says, you bring it directly to me, right? You bring it directly to me. That's what it means to wrestle with God. Parents, as your children get older, you need to allow them to wrestle with God. Now me, I got kids in all different stages, okay? Crawling and driving, all right? Pick, pick, pick which one you wanna deal with, okay? For me, I don't have a choice. I gotta deal with them all and I need God's wisdom, so I appreciate your prayers. But my teenagers, sometimes at the point out, okay, if that's, that's between you and the Lord, you're gonna have to wrestle with God on that. And that's gonna be a lot more strenuous than wrestling with me, right? But we have to allow our children to wrestle with the Lord. Those of you who are married, sometimes you gotta let your husband wrestle with the Lord. You sure you wanna do that? You know everything? Okay, right? Husbands, the wives, okay, you're right, okay? That's a bow, right? She gotta wrestle with the Lord. You have to wrestle with the Lord. This is a reality. When we spend enough time in his presence, this is why we wrestle. When we spend enough time in his presence, we are blessed with the revelation that we get from who he is and what he's going to do. Amen, saints? Remember, if it's hard to come by, Lord, help is sufficient, okay? Through Habakkuk's wrestling, towards the end of this prayer song in chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, Here's his resolution. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, 
and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Amen, amen, and more amens, right? Saints, this is what God has purposed for us in this life, to have an intimate relationship with the lover of our soul in which we can enjoy him forever. And if going through a faith trial is the only way you're going to find joy, then you better set up camp in that trial. Then you, you better just get used to going through the, the hills and valleys of life because some of us, that's the only place we'll find the true joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So chapter three, let's pray before, again, before I read the holy words, bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord. And as we prepare our hearts to hear your word, we pray, Lord, that you will remove scales, uh, remove hardness of hearts, work in our hearts, Lord. We cast away every distraction uh, that easily ensnares us from being attentive to your word, Lord. And as your word comes down from heaven and accomplishes everything that you set it out to do, we pray, Lord, it is not returned unto you void. Bless your word, the hearers, but specifically the doers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse one, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, a Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, saints, in the previous two chapters, Habakkuk had the glorious liberty of having a Q&A with God Almighty. Who would love to have that? Lord, just me and you. Nobody has to listen, right? And then, and then it's chronicled in scripture and everybody hears your conversation. <laughs> That's what this was about, right? He probably thought, Lord, this is just me and you. And then, you know, 4,000 years later, we're in here and we're gleaning from this conversation, this Q&A that Habakkuk is having with the Lord. He was perplexed. He starts off perplexed and confused about why God wasn't judging the current evil of God's people, Right? or at least it appeared that way. And according to Amos 3 and 7, those of you who take notes, it says that God never does anything without informing his servants, the prophets. And that's God's mercy. And so before God would do something in the Old Testament, he would go to his prophets and say, hey, I need you to be my spokesperson, right? If you remember uh, Abraham, they said, Lord, should we go tell Abraham, your friend, what we're gonna do to Sodom? And then what? He went to Abraham and said, hey, uh, paraphrase, my paraphrase. Hey, uh, Abraham, we got to take care of Sodom and Gomorrah. We, we have to. This is how it has to go down. And you remember Abraham? Oh, Lord, no. The good and the evil together? No, please. Right? He basically begged, don't do that. But that's an example in scripture on how God speaks through the prophets. Right? And that's God's mercy. He warns us about that. The nation of Judah would indeed be exiled into Babylon for 70 years for their rebellion and idol worship. And this, sadly, saints, was a pattern in the scriptures. The big story of God establishing his kingdom here on earth, which was God's people and God's place 
under God's rule, started in Garden of Eden, and then what? They were exiled, right? And then God didn't stop there. He went through Noah, wiped the whole planet out. Let's start again. And then what? The people spread. And then he said, Abraham, through him, Israel, established it. We see the reign in what? King David and King Solomon's reign. There was peace. And then what? Exile. But God never gave up, and there was always a plan, which Israel's incomplete story at the end of the Bible, it was incomplete. And that's what Christmas is all about, saints. The completion of the story of Jesus fulfilling Israel's story and establishing a kingdom. It wasn't just for Israel, saints. Guess what? You guys are a part of that. He came and established it, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he says, you now go fulfill what Israel failed to do. Amen? It's a good thing. We get to be a part of establishing God's kingdom here on earth, right? And the difference is we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? We are the temple of the living God. He shall dwell in us. We shall be his people. He shall be our God. And that is glorious. Amen? So back to the story. He rebuked them when he spoke to Habakkuk, responding to his questions in chapter two, for what? He rebuked Babylon for their many evils, such as extortion, drunkenness, exploitation of people, violence on people and animals. Some of you guys are like, no, not the animals, right? But covetousness and idolatry, sins that are so ever present in our society, community, families, and unfortunately, our churches today. There's nothing new under the sun, saints. We live in a broken, fallen world, and judgment begins at the house of God. And this is where Habakkuk is. Simply put, he ends chapter two with the Lord is in his holy temple. All of the earth stays silent before him. In other words, all knees will bow. All tongues will confess. Every false God, every false professor, everyone's going to have to give an account to the Lord of heaven's army, Yahweh, right? Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true living God. So saints, while the reality of nothing happening outside of the hands of God Almighty may frighten the godless, it stabilizes the saints. Amen? To know that nothing happens outside of the hand of God, I don't know about you, but my pillow's a little softer at night. Amen? I could sleep a little bit better knowing that he holds everything in the span of his hand. So as we enter chapter three, this is Habakkuk's response to the Lord judging Babylon for their wickedness to Judah and all the other nations. And guess what? There's no more questions. His tone has completely changed. After hearing God's word and seeing God's glory in a vision, he became like a deer bounding confidently on the mountain heights. But his circumstances hasn't changed. But time in the Lord's presence changed him. And this is a reality for us. That's why we must bring it to the Lord's table. And now... He was walking by faith and not by sight. He was living by promises and not by explanations. See, saints, you can bring it all to God, but he's not obligated. 
to give you an answer. Amen? He, he doesn't owe us an explanation. Simply put, he's already done enough for us to trust him, right? But he's still gracious enough to allow you to come. And when I think of great men and women of scripture, I think of John the Baptist. We know as courageous as John the Baptist was, he pointed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when he had a moment of despair and doubt, he sent his own disciples to Jesus. And he questioned him, are you the coming one or shall we look for another? That was John the Baptist, right? And Jesus didn't shoo him away, right? He said, you just, I need you to go do something. You go tell John the things you've seen and the things you've heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, and blessed are those who are not offended of me. Hallelujah, amen, and thank you, Jesus. Because if we weren't able to confidently bring it into the presence of the Lord, who could we bring it to, right? So this is important. So Habakkuk, the question is, what took Habakkuk from the valleys of the shadow of death to the glorious green pastures? I would say this, the same spiritual disciplines that can take us there. One, prayer, vision, faith, studying God's word. Habakkuk wrestled with God in times of uncertainty. He studied God's word and he affirmed God's holy promises. So in verse one in your Bible, it starts with the prophet praying in the form of a psalm. And it's heading like most of the psalms do, and it even includes a musical literary notation, selah, or selah, however people pronounce it. And people don't, scholars aren't really sure what that means. Some means it's like a musical pause, like when you sing music, a cadence, when someone's speaking, they'll pause for you to catch up with it, right? Um, that's kind of like what Selah means or what they believe it means. But it's interesting to note that God responded to Habakkuk in chapter two with a taunt song regarding the judgment of Babylon. And then Habakkuk responds in chapter three with a praise song all to the Savior. Amen? Saints, I, can I encourage you guys to praise the Lord without ceasing just like you pray without ceasing? Here's why. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits our praise, right? He inhabits the praises of his people. So if you want to invoke the presence of God, then praise God, right? But many of us, if we're going to be honest, we do a lot more complaining. Oh man, they got in front of me before I got to church. I promised I wasn't going to be late, but I had to get coffee, right? Like, I mean, you, you, can, you can get out with the complaints and the excuses, right? But I want to warn you guys, if God inhabits our praise, then who inhabits your complaints? When they praised God in the Old Testament, the Shekinah came down. When they complained against God in the Old Testament, the snakes came out and bit them, right? So, dot, 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 when you complain, you're invoking the presence of the enemy, right? And every time the people complained, it caused a, a kind of a, a, a drift or separation between them and the Lord, right? He said, therefore, don't be like your fathers were in the day of rebellion, when they heard my voice and tested me, oh Lord, you can't do that. I know you brought manna, but you can't bring quail, right? They were whining and complaining and the snakes came out. But when they praised and worshiped God, the Shekinah glory came down, right? And so my encouragement to you guys is, is when you praise the Lord, it brings you into a glorious presence because you focused on the creator instead of the circumstance. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Those are all good things, right? And so I encourage you guys. This is what I believe the apostle Paul commands, why he commands it. Philippians 2, it says, do all things without complaining. Okay, don't stone me up here, right? And disputing that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. So when you complain, you're not shining. When you praise, let the glory go, right? Verse one indicates Habakkuk is responding to the Lord's reply from chapter two. His response is a prayer on Shiganoth. Shiganoth is a Hebrew, it's Hebrew. It's a musical notation meaning energetic, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. Many scholars believe that this was even used in ancient Israel for their worship. Now imagine that. From complexity, confusion, and doubt resulted in a praise and worship song that the whole congregation of Israel was blessed by. All by bringing it to the Lord, right? He brought it to the Lord. He wrestled with God. And from complaint, despair, and doubt to trusting and waiting to praising and worshiping, we all saints must take that path. So Habakkuk's prayer is one of passion and energy, excitement, and it's a song unto the Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise for who God is and what he has done as well as what he has promised. When I think about this, I think about King David. He was dancing before the Lord with the epot on. He was so excited for the presence of God to worship with God's people in God's place under God's rule. And he was so excited. His wife got mad at him. She looked out the window. Man, what am my king doing? He's dancing. Everybody's rejoicing. She got upset with him, right? But there was joy and excitement in David. He says, I will be humbled even more than this in the sight of God, the worship and the praise. Saints regarding prayer, much, and I mean much, can be said about it. But the veil has been torn. We can enter the presence of Almighty God any place, anytime, anywhere. Saints, we, there's, there's no more crowds to get to Jesus. There, there's no more mountaintop to climb, right? We don't have to go to Mount Sinai. There's no more human mediators that has to offer a sacrifice for the presence of God to come to us. Any place, anytime, anywhere, we can enter the presence of Almighty God. But prayerlessness, saints, is the locust that's eating the church. We're too busy. We'll do it later. I just did a quick one that's sufficient. Not saying the length has to do with it. It's really the posture of the heart, right? But we have definitely underestimated and taken for granted the greatest privilege of being a child of God. And that's prayer. That's communication, a dialogue directly with the creator of the universe, the lover of our soul. Saints, my wife and I pray for you guys every single day. We pray that the Lord would be your chief joy. We pray that you guys would all taste and see that the Lord is good, that the Lord would provide for you, lead you, protect you, but that you would truly long for his presence every single day. Amen.
It's been said, for those of you who take notes on little sayings, that if we don't abide in prayer, we'll abide in temptation. You choose which one. The two can't live there. There's a reason why when Jesus was at the height of his human agony in the garden of Gethsemane, that he said, hey, you guys need to pray lest you enter into temptation, right? So the, the exhortation is abide in prayer. I've learned that if I panic, I won't pray. But if I pray, I won't panic, amen? So if I pray too much, I don't even think about panicking. But if I panic too much, that's all I think about is panicking. We need to change the focus. Late great Spurgeon said this, I'd rather teach 10 men to pray than 10,000 men to preach. Amen. That's powerful, right? You can't say amen. Lord, help me is sufficient this morning, okay? I'd rather teach 10 people to pray than 10,000 people to preach. Amen. Amen. Word to the herd, right? Now, again, both are important. One would say it's like breathing in and breathing out, but I believe it starts all with praying. Amen? You don't read a Bible without praying. You shouldn't at least, all right? You shouldn't, okay? Verse 2, when he says, oh, Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known, but in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk declares that when he heard the Lord's presence, he was afraid. Now, that word does not mean he was so afraid that he ran away, right? Not that type of fear. The word heard, mean, the word heard here in the Hebrew means report. So I heard the report speaking of what God had revealed to him about the coming judgment. For context, you guys know Romans 10, 16, 17, hopefully, maybe, perhaps, right? He says, who have believed our report? Therefore, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So important, Habakkuk heard and his faith was increased. Saints, the word of God and prayer must always go together. D.L. Moody once said this, I used to think I should close my Bible and pray for faith, but I came to see that it was in my studying of God's word is how I actually get to faith. Saints, there's no increase of faith without the word of God. How are you to understand what you're going through if the word of God doesn't instruct you? Amen? Lord, help is okay. Lord, help. I don't get it, right? Help me, please. For context, and those of you who take notes, Amos 3 and 8 says this, a lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? That word afraid means to be in awe, reverence, astonished, undone. I think of Isaiah when he says that the day uh, King Uzziah died, right? I saw the Lord and he says he was in his holy temple and the cherubims, they were, they were praising and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And Isaiah says, I was undone. I thought about my speech, my lips, unclean. I'm an unclean people. He was undone. So has Habakkuk in the presence of the Lord. In awe, in glory. From his word, he then petitions the Lord to revive his work, meaning to relive it, to do it again. What work? The work God has always done 
from the beginning and foundation of the earth. Deliverance, salvation, right? I know you're going to judge Judah. I know you are, Lord. But the same work that you've done of old, please do it again. In verses 8, 13, and 18, Habakkuk mentions salvation. He ascribes salvation to its proper owner, Yahweh. Saint salvation, deliverance to his people Israel is simply an example of how salvation works today and has always worked. Saints, the Bible says that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of human works, lest any man should boast. So what that means is you cannot outwork the cross of Calvary, right? But neither can you outsend the grace of God, right? So you, you can't be so horrible that the grace of God won't cover you. But you can't be so righteous and say, no, I don't need the cross. You can't outwork what Jesus already did on the cross. The simple solution is whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? This is what Habakkuk is talking about. This salvation that God has always worked from the beginning of time, it all rests upon him. I don't know where everyone is here in the room today. Yes, you're at church. Trust me, it's not by chance, right? I don't know the thoughts and the trials that a lot of you are going through, family members, whatever that may be. But the message here today is that God loves each of us as if there's only one of us. And his love cannot be measured. When trying to measure it, the best he came up with is the cross of Calvary, right? And even then, our mind can't comprehend the love of God. The prophet is exalting the Lord's faithfulness to Israel and then petitioning the Lord to repeat the great exodus when God's people repented, cried out to him, and he executed a great salvation. Yet in that, in verse three of your Bibles, the end of verse three, it says, in the midst of the years, make it known. But in wrath, remember mercy. Not wrath. Don't talk about it, please. Only the love of God must be spoken. Saints. <laughs> God is love, but God's wrath is a part of God's love, right? God's wrath and his mercy are part of the multifaceted nature of God. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, in pouring out your wrath, don't forget to be merciful to your people. So when you judge Babylon, be merciful to Judah, right? We, we're repenting. We love you, Lord. When you pour out your cup of fury, you guys think of the book of Revelation, billions. I think there's 8.5 billion people and counting in the world now, okay? Way more than that. Billions of people will be judged, okay? Not because they didn't have an opportunity. Not because they didn't hear the message. Not because God was not merciful, but because God will not force anyone to be at a place or with someone they do not want to be with. And so righteous judgment comes. And so Habakkuk says, Lord, in your wrath, please remember mercy. Saints, God's wrath and his mercy go together. And they're both glorious. And they're both good. For those of you who take notes for context, Hosea 11, 
8 through 11. It's beautiful. Here's what it says. Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Arma or demolish you like Zebium? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will completely, I will not completely destroy Israel for I am God and not a man. For I am the Holy One living among you. I will not come to destroy, for someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will turn from Assyria. And I will be home again, says the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Please have mercy. Amen. So Lord, in your wrath, when you judge righteously, remember mercy. When I've messed up, as I so oftenly do, talk to my kids, uh, Lord, please have mercy. If my kids aren't enough, pull my wife aside, right? David in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. David again in 2 Samuel, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall in the hands of man. Saints, God does not want to crush you. Amen. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not will that people should perish. And what that means is that God has done everything possible on this side of eternity, including the era you were born in. Now, some of you guys wonder why you aren't, maybe 1908? I know nobody 1908 isn't here, okay, right? If some of you guys wonder why you weren't born Gen Z era, okay? I wasn't, praise God, okay? No knock on Gen Zers, I love y'all, okay? But have you guys wondered why were you born in the time you were born? Why were you born in the place you were born? Acts 17 says that he did that on purpose. He predetermined your dwelling points, right? And from one person, he made of one nation, so that why? So we would seek after him, for he is not far from each and every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm an 80s baby, but 90s raised me. Thank you for the 80s. Okay, praise God. I'm glad I was born when I was born. Okay, I know I don't look it. Good black don't crack. Praise God. But I'm almost 40, okay? <laughs> I'm almost 40, <laughs> And the reason I was born where I was born is that was the best time and opportunity for me to seek the Lord. Thank you. That is God's mercy. Thank you, Jesus. So for some of you wishing, man, I wish I was born another time. No, you don't. Okay? No, you don't. You were born right where you're supposed to, right where you're supposed to, right in the family you were supposed to be born in, because that's God's providence. Amen? Thank you. That is the attribute of the holy triune God. May we rejoice in that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I love that. Amen. Makes my heart jump, right? Saints, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. He delights in showing mercy. His love cannot be measured. One of the old dead guys said this, Oh, Lord, I knew, never knew the meaning of your love until I understood the meaning of your death. Amen. So powerful.
Praise God. And so in this, review of point number one, praise God for his mercy. It's by his mercy we are not consumed. Habakkuk, after wrestling, then trusting and waiting, and now praising, and the first thing he praises God for is God's mercy. It's God's mercy. It's by his mercy. Saints, if we confess and forsake our sin, we will receive mercy. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with guys at the rescue mission and students and talking about, ah, I don't want to, I know I'm messing up. I don't want to say anything about it. I don't want to confess it. The Bible says if you hide it, right, you'll be judged, okay? Confess sin hurts. I mean, uh, concealed sin hurts, but confess sin heals, right? If you conceal it, it's, it's, like, it's like cancer. It's like leprosy. Eventually, it will come out on the outside. The Lord always wants to give you an opportunity to confess your sin privately before he has to call you out publicly, right? Take King David, Solomon, for example, okay? You want your sin chronicled, okay? And I, again, I know the can is closed, but still, like, I don't want my sin chronicled in Scripture for everybody to read for thousands of years to come, right? I, I, I don't want that bid. But the encouragement here is, Bring it to the Lord, confess it. Confess means to agree with God about what he says. If he says it's sin, the Lord, I agree. If he says it's righteousness, then Lord, I agree. That is confession. Point number two, praise God for his past faithfulness. Praise God for his past faithfulness. And this is something that I learned and I continuously learn because God does not change, okay? We do, we shift back and forth. We're left and right. You're one person today, you're another person tomorrow, right? We, we, we're, we're pretty fickle as a people, right? But the Bible says that God remains the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's why you need to study the Old Testament, right? God's continual faithfulness to his people. So therefore, if he was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the present and in the future, and so whenever I get off track, I'm like, Lord, like, I don't like what happened. I thought you, I don't like what you did. Like I prayed, but you answered me, but not the way I wanted to. And then now I'm like, so the goal is to go back to the roadmap. And the roadmap says, God is going to be faithful. Not what you want, but always what you need. Verse three in your Bibles. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran, Silah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise his brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled." Habakkuk, the prophet, now reflects on God's past faithfulness to the nation of Israel. He borrows imagery. So this is poetry that paints a picture. He borrows imagery from the, the, the journey of the Exodus, right? When they were exited out of Egypt, the plagues and God's glory in the wilderness, he draws imagery from the history and he describes Yahweh as the Holy One, Okay. Holiness is a good word, all right? It's not a curse word. The Bible says, be ye holy, amen. Y'all read your Bibles. For I am holy. That means set apart like no one else. 
none like me, none before me, none after me. And the prophet says, Yahweh, you are the Holy One of Israel. He says, God coming from Taman, that place is in connection with Mount Paran, which is the broad geographical location of South Judah, including Mount Sinai. And therefore, a reminder of Israel's deliverance from Egypt and the glorious act of the giving of the law. So saints, one question for you. Why would God keep reminding us? Because we forget, right? And then you're hard on your kids. Didn't I tell you? I forgot, okay? Have mercy, right? And sometimes they do it on purpose. But the reality is this, the saints, we forget. Israel, he says, you forgot my works over and over and over. Why in the world in the Bible over 360 times, do not fear, do not be afraid? Does God think we're deaf? Does he think we just don't recall? Well, because we're afraid and we fear over and over. And so he says, I'm going to give you a reminder for every day of the week, right? Every day of the month, every day of the year to do not fear, do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. This is the reminder of Yahweh reminding through the prophet Habakkuk of God's past faithfulness. When he says in verse four, his brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. A very poetic description of God's glory at Sinai. Other places in scripture, Isaiah 6, when his glory filled the temple, we see over and over in the visions of God coming in great glory and thunderings and his voice uh, like a mighty thunder, right? These characteristics and sounds come with the glory of God Almighty. Saints, I don't think there's anything more glorious than being in the presence of God. Amen? Amen? I, I, don't, I, I don't think, I mean, we look in scripture, they all, they, they fell. They were undone in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory was so overwhelming for them. But every time, they were so blessed. Every time, their countenance changed. Every time, they went from despair and doubt to worship and praise. And that's what our souls were created for. Verse 5, it says, It went before him, pestilence, fever followed at his feet. It speaks of the elements of God's divine punishment. Remember Egypt, right? Remember in the wilderness, all these things. Now, again, does God punish us because he wants to crush us? That was a weak no. Okay, you can't, you can't say amen, say, Lord, help me understand, okay? So look, God does not desire to crush us, right? But as a loving father disciplines their child, so the Lord disciplines us. And the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. Now, again, I have six kids from all different ranges, okay? Thank you, my wife. I know you watch. I love you. Appreciate you. I discipline them differently. I discipline them according to their character, right? According to what God is cultivating in them because I love them. And I'm not saying I enjoy it, but I know that if I don't, I'm not partnering with God and cultivating godly character. I'm not honoring the Lord and raising them up in the way they should go and the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Saints, when God corrects you, he's claiming you as his very own. Amen? When he corrects us, he's saying, you are not fatherless. You are not an orphan. You are my very own child. 
and I correct you to protect you. Amen? I don't want you jumping off the Empire State Building, okay? Right? I, I, I love you, and I want to correct you, right? And so this speaks of God's judgment. Pharaoh, right? Sadly, many of the world today is like Pharaoh. We fear the plagues, but we don't fear God. Amen? We fear what, oh, he might, God might, but I don't really fear God himself, right? And because of that, when God has mercy, you go back to your old ways again, right? And that's what we saw with Pharaoh. And Habakkuk is describing the glory. In 6 and 7, he gives a description in the song that's associated with God's descent from Mount Sinai when he gave the glorious law and a response to God's mighty acts of deliverance through the other nations, Kushan and Midian and the uh, Judges chapter 7. Saints, we cannot forget. Whatever, I don't know what it takes for you guys to remember. For me, I keep a prayer journal because my mind can't um, contain how faithful God has been to me. And so I have a prayer journal, years, several years of prayer journal. And so whenever I get to that moment where I start to question or doubt, I start reading through that, blown away. God, thank you for not answering that prayer that way. Glad you answered it that way. Thank you for not saying anything on that part. Thank you for sending so-and-so, right? It just gives me a greater adoration and praise for God's faithfulness and God's people. Amen? And so I encourage you guys, praise God for his faithfulness, but don't forget his faithfulness. So whatever you have to do that will allow you to remember and not forget, if you need 360 reminders, I'll put on an auto text. I'll text y'all, okay? I'll have it every day, okay? I'll remind you, right? If I have to. But do not forget his faithfulness. Point number three, praise God for his deliverance. So we've praised God for his mercy. We've praised God for his past faithfulness. And now we're going to praise God for his deliverance. Point number three, in your text, verse eight, it reads this. Oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? This is rhetorical regarding the sea, of course, and the rivers. Remember, in Egypt, the Nile River turned to blood. Was God angry at the river? How dare you, river? What's wrong with you? No, God's not insane, right? That was not for the river. That was for God's people, right? So he had his deliverance using creation because God is the creator of everything. He's not bound by time, space, and matter. When people say, well, who created God? Well, well no, he's eternal, right? Well, how, does, how is that possible? I don't know. Like that, that's, that's why he's God, right? Like you, you figure that out when you get to heaven, you see him face to face, right? But we know that God is eternal. He's not bound by time, space, and matter, but he's still among time, space, and matter, right? If you try to figure that out, headache and stomach ache will ensue, all right? Just trust that what God says is true. And while I may not be able to understand all things, I can't understand some things. And for me, that's good enough. But the Lord was not angry. He was being faithful in delivering his people. He is pictured here as a valiant warrior riding on a victorious battle horse to deliver his people. Now, saints, as you know, we've read the end. We know the end of the story, right? God wins. He's victorious. He's undefeated, right? And he comes in originally on a donkey, right? And we're like, yay donkey, okay? The donkey 
was little Jesus, meek and mild, okay? That was to bring salvation. The white horse, though, is a battle animal, okay? It's a war animal. God is going to have war on his enemies, and it's going to be glorious. And guess what? We're going to be with them. Praise the Lord, right? On the white horse. And so Habakkuk is giving that imagery of him on the white horse. This valiant, glorious warrior is the same warrior that's inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is why. It says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. This is why. The Bible says, who can lay a charge against God's elect, right? That if God be for me, who can be against me, right? That we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. This is the battle, saints, and it belongs to the Lord alone. And thank you, Jesus, for that. In verse 9, he says, your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows, salah means pause, reflect. You divided the earth with rivers. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation and the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. Now pause here. This is talking about all the glorious battles that God has won for Israel. In the book of Joshua, the sun stood still, okay? That's our God. Well, how can he do that? Because he's not bound by his creation, right? And he is the only one that can do that. All the other gods of the earth are false. First Samuel, the god Dagon fell on his head, head popped off. He was worshiping Jesus, okay? Read the Bible. The, the, the um, Philistines thought they can take the Ark of the Covenant, which was the, where the presence of God dwelled, and they thought they can steal it and put it, front, put it in front of Dagon. They all wake up. Dagon, face flat, head over here, body over here, both bowing to Yahweh, okay? That's our God, amen? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So he speaks of those battles. In verse 12, he says, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked, by laying bare from the foundation, Selah. 14 and 15, you thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. They rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of your great waters. The prophet recalls the battles the Lord has won for the nation of Israel, such as Gibeon, Egypt, and many others. The reminder, in our lives, saints, if you look in the New Testament, you don't see battles, physical battles like that. So what we see in scripture are physical descriptions of New Testament spiritual realities. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? We're in a spiritual battle. And the way that the Lord has conquered in the Old Testament for Israel is the same way he conquers for us, saints. But here's the reality. The battlefield is not the land before us. It is your mind. So the question is, 
How are you guarding your heart and your mind? The Bible says that your ear gates and your eye gates are the window to our soul. Okay, someone's like, oh man, I was just watching a little Netflix series before I got here. I don't think I'm gonna watch that when I go home, right? The reality is, look, while there isn't condemnation in Christ, there should be conviction, right? And the thing is, is that we are in a spiritual battle when you watch things and listen to things, you're opening yourself up to demonic influence. And all it is is a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? And compromise breeds chaos. So behind every compromise, saints, is a volcano of chaos waiting to erupt. And when it erupts, it will not spare. And you're going to say, Lord, why did this happen? He said, why did you compromise, right? Why didn't you guard your heart and your mind? We weren't created to be satisfied by the things outside of the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so remember God's faithful battles, battles that you've overcome in your life. I've had plenty where the Lord has won for me, and I'll be transparent with you guys, one that I still struggle with today. I ask why is the night before Pastor Dave's son died, he was here with me. And I say, question, why wasn't it Chris? Why couldn't he say it was Chris? Why couldn't it be Jonathan? Why did it have to be me? Why was I like the last person that was with him for the next morning? I don't know why. But the Lord had to conquer that battle for me. Son, you know what? That's just not for you to understand right now. Maybe it was so you can comfort him when you came over there. Maybe it was so you can empathize with him. I don't know, but it's something that the Lord had to conquer that battle for me because I can't live in that type of condemnation, right? I can't live in the why and how, and I can't do that for life. It's one of those things where God just says, son, you just have to trust me. As parents, when your kids ask difficult questions and are not ready to comprehend, you have to just say, son, daughter, you just have to trust me. Amen? And so for me, the battle that the Lord, one of the many of overcoming is, son, you just have to trust me. And so the prophet, I believe, resolves with that. Because in verse 16, he says this, when I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people he will invade them with his troops. What is he saying is that when you show me the vision of the coming judgment of Babylon and Judah, I was undone. Now, I want you guys to think about this. He was given a vision of something to come. He could have, and some of us would have, I'm out. I'm fleeing to the hills. When judgment hits Judah, you won't find me, right? I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. He didn't forsake his people. He didn't go and run away from the correction and discipline of the Lord. And that's why the Bible says, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, right? Because his discipline is for your good. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for all who are trained by it. So as he's quivering, as he's trembling, I know the judgment's coming. He says that I might rest in the day of trouble when the troops invade and take us to Babylon. I'm not running. Lord, I trust you. I don't fully understand it, but Lord, I trust you. And how many of you in here today need to lay things at the feet of the cross and just say, Lord, I trust you. I'm not gonna try to figure any and everything out. 
It's like trying to put the ocean in the cracks of a seashell. Good luck. It's, it's, too, it's too much. David said, such knowledge is too high for me, right? I can't attain it. But he says, I trust you. Saints, praise God for his mighty deliverance. Habakkuk has given us a wonderful example of we don't run from the chastening of God. We don't run when things get tough. We run to him and not from him, right? He's a loving father. It's like, I'm so glad. Sorry, I got I to enter, enter. I'm so glad that I have children because I believe if I didn't have children, I'd be a different type of person. And the reason why I say that is one, that having kids humbles you, right? Is, is I think God made them small for a reason. They call them a viper and a diaper, right? Like there's a reason why they're small like that because if they weren't, like some of us, you know, there'd be some problems, right? And if you imagine that rage from a kid in the diaper, if he was strong, like it'd be a problem for you guys. But I say that because there's moments where I spend time with my, my children are really, really small and they just will not be consoled unless I hold them. And when I'm holding them, the Lord ministers to them. He says, that's how I want you to be. I want you just to sit in my arms. I want to be able to console you. I don't want you climbing over ladders and jumping on trees and running over there. I want you to be still in my arms. And so God speaks to me when I hold my kids. And I thank God for that imagery that he's given us in being a parent and having children. So I praise God for his deliverance. Saints, on your outlines that as we transition to point number four, God's discipline is for our protection, not our destruction. God loves us so much, he corrects us when we get off track. Praise the Lord for his deliverance. Saints, God desires to take us from deliverance to development to our destiny, aka from Egypt to the wilderness to Canaan. So out of Egypt, that's deliverance. For development, that's the wilderness. The wilderness is to cultivate godly character, to prepare you for where God has you, right? Divine detours. You take a detour, you miss things that are on the main road, but also it prepares you for things that are ahead of the road that you were not ready for. So we praise God for that. Point number four, last point. Praise God in every circumstance. Every circumstance, every circumstance. Here's what the word of God says. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, through the, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels, not the shoes, to chief, the chief musician with string instrument. I know some of y'all in here are like, yo, what? no, look, high heels, okay? The heels, not high heels, the heels, okay? Right? <laughs> Verse 17, we know the Holy Ghost got humor, right? Verse 17, he realizes the doom of the nation of Israel, that it would be famine and destruction but he utter, utters a personal statement of faith. Yet I will still rejoice. Reminiscent of Job. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Ask the three Hebrew boys. 
Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. No, we won't bow even if God does not deliver us. You ever wonder why Daniel still prayed? Some will say, well, he was self-righteous. He wanted to go with window and show everybody. No, 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 no. Because the presence of God was his life. And he says, if I can't pray, then I can't live. If I can't pray, I might as well be dead, right? If I can't praise God, I have no life at all. This is how we can be content and praise God in every circumstance. When he talks about the high hills, saints, they've done a survey and they say one of the greatest fears people have is heights and public speaking, okay? Be glad I don't have that, all right? I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of heights, I'll be honest, but public speaking and heights. And so you imagine when he says the high places, those are uncomfortable, unsafe, unfamiliar territory for us. And so he says, when he makes me in the high hills, these uncomfortable places that are scary, he's the one who makes me to be able to walk in those places. Now, hind's feet are specific to the feet of the deer that allows them to walk in very, very tight, steep places in the mountains and not fall. Saints, our high places, some of us are in very comfortable places right now in our walk with the Lord and whatever's going on in our lives and the message that Habakkuk is saying, stay in the presence of God. Stay in the fire. Stay in God's faithfulness. It's either one of two things, a passive faith or an active faith. An active faith says, Lord, I know you, I got you. A passive faith says, Lord, you got me. And most of the time we're in a passive faith. I don't know what to do from here. I don't know where to go from here. But Lord, if you don't go with me, I can't go up from here. This is the message of Habakkuk. You secretly climb the high places. It's the Lord that makes you strong. The prophet says the Lord is his strength. So saints in review, standing on a prayer, a praise, and a promise. Live by God's promises and not by explanations. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his past faithfulness. Praise God for his deliverance. And praise God in every circumstance, even when you don't understand. Let us pray. Father, we praise you according to all we have heard with our ears and all we have understood with our minds. Lord, you are God alone. There is no God like you in heaven above, nor on earth below. And Lord, you are faithful. Even when we're faithless, you're faithful because you cannot deny who you are. We praise you for your mercy, Lord. If there's anyone in here, Lord, that does not know you, that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, that is still condemned, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, your will is that none shall perish, no, not one. Your will is that you, that they would turn from their wicked ways and live and come through the only open door, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. If there's anyone in here, Lord, I pray that they surrender to you today. And Lord, as we conclude in worshiping you, 
we just pray you show us your glory, Lord. All your majesty, all your splendor, our hearts are open before you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, let